also, I have a friend who has come across to me from time to time as being totally disinterested in gossiping with me. <laughs> Her face, it's, it's, it's like, I mean, you know how this goes, right? You're in a small group at church, or um, you are with some people from work, or you are with your friends, or you go to a family gathering, and somebody says something that in your mind is just like, it's ridiculous, or it is super uneducated, or it's immoral. And so then later, you find someone else, and you think of that thing, and you bring it up with this third party. And in that moment, you know how it goes. There's a, a little bit of excitement, right? There's a, there's a little bit of, especially if the person is like, what? They, they did what? They, they think what? There's a little connection. There's a little bond. There's a little excitement in this feeling of superiority, in this feeling of um, bond over the poor soul that you are discussing. <laughs> and uh, if you're in church, then you sort of conclude with like, we should really pray for them. <laughs> so it, uh, it stood out to me that this friend of mine has come across to as just um, just disinterested. Just like her face, it's just disinterested in gossip. Like when I have tried to triangulate with her, her face, her face just, it, it loses interest. When I've tried to engage her in gossip, like she just doesn't go there. It's almost like, it's almost like on a cellular level in her body, she just doesn't collude with those exciting feelings of superiority. And do you know what else I've noticed? People just don't gossip around her or with her. Because like, it's no fun. There's, there's no connection. Dallas Willard says this. He says, offer, offer gentle nonconformity with evil. And, and that, yeah, non-cooperation, non-cooperation with evil. When you encounter evil, offer gentle non-cooperation with it. And that is what I think of when I think of my friend. That is, to me, what my friend is doing. And today we're going to talk about some of Jesus' most famous words, the words, do not judge. And even people who have never stepped foot in a church, have never attended church in their life, uh, know these words. And I'm not really sure if this message is going to be any good at all today, but I think it's going to be kind of clear um, because we're just talking about that one little phrase, these words of Jesus, do not judge. So like tonight, if you go to dinner with people and they're like, what was the message about at church? You can say probably pretty clearly, well, it was about Jesus's words, do not judge. It's actually even better in the King James Version because in the King James Version, the old school, old English, thou shalt not judge. Should we just like say it together? Thou shalt not judge. Even better, like take out your, your finger and point it at me or someone else. Thou shalt not judge. It's, I mean, I almost feel like kind of superior <laughs> in saying the words thou shalt not judge, which right might cancel itself out. There's almost a feeling of superiority even in saying them. And the reality is the truth is we judge all the time. We just do. We judge all the time. We judge other people's appearances, intelligence, work ethic. 
We judge people's spiritual depth. We judge each other's parenting. We judge how other people spend their time and their money. We judge one another's priorities in life. We are people who judge, and Jesus comes along and says, do not judge. Now, Sky Jathani, in the little book we're reading, he has a great little picture where he talks about two definitions, two different definitions of judgment. This is the picture. He says, judgment can mean, definition A, to discern, or it can mean, definition B, to condemn. And when Jesus is talking about do not judge, he's talking about do not condemn. So on one hand, we judge all the time, and Jesus would have it so. Like definition A is to discern. It is to say, apples are not oranges. That's just to discern. That is just to know that is a form of judgment. You're discerning that apples are different. They're not the same as oranges. But definition B is what Jesus is talking about here when he says, thou shalt not judge. He's saying to judge as in to condemn. To say apples are less than oranges is to condemn the oranges. He's got some little signs here, death to the apples, God hates apples, right? That is to condemn. That's different than to discern. John Stott says a very similar thing with a great quote about this section. He says, what Jesus means when he says, do not judge is this. It doesn't mean we shouldn't assess people critically. We do that all the time. There are certain people we shouldn't go into business with, certain people we shouldn't trust, Certain people we shouldn't let watch our children. That is just wisdom. Jesus is for that. But rather, we shouldn't be a critic. The critic is a fault finder who is negative and destructive towards other people and enjoys actively seeking out their failings. He puts the worst possible construction on their motives, pours cold water on their schemes, and is ungenerous towards their mistakes. The command to judge not is not a requirement to be blind, but rather a plea to be generous. I think there have been many times where I have misapplied Jesus' teaching on this. And here are just two ways I have misapplied this thou shall not judge in my own life. The first way is this. When I have clearly been wrong, when I have clearly sinned, and I say, or I put off the air, don't judge me, don't judge me, that is a misapplication of what Jesus is saying here. The other way I think I have misapplied this is when I have seen someone I love, like running headlong down a path of self-destruction. And I kind of like, hide behind these words of Jesus, do not judge. And rather than lovingly confront the self-destruction they are running headlong into, I'm kind of like, well, I don't want to judge. But Jesus said, do not judge. And I have stood by passively. I've sort of been like, well, live and let live. You know, to each her own. That is another misapplication of what Jesus is teaching here and saying here. Like there are all sorts of places in the Sermon on the Mount itself where Jesus talks about the need to discern, the need to judge between right and wrong and good and evil, and the narrow gate and the wide gate and the the rocky soil and the good soil. 
In fact, right after he says these words, do not judge, he says, do not throw your pearl to pigs. In other words, like the guy who just said, do not judge, just called somebody a pig. I can remember there was a point in high school. Gosh, I mean, I just look back at this. It's like, I was kind of going off the rails. I was kind of at a fork in the road. And man, am I ever thankful. Like that there were people who loved me enough my parents, my youth leaders, my church friends, to be like, hey, Suze, what are you doing? And I just, I look back and I think, like, had they not been in my life at that fork in the road? And it was uncomfortable, and growth often is. But there was a loving, it wasn't a passive, just like, well, we don't want to judge. A few years ago, I was traveling with a couple of girlfriends and I will never forget because one of, one of my girlfriends was kind of going off the rails at the time herself, and the other girlfriend said to this girlfriend, she said, like we were all there at dinner together, traveling together, and, and she said, I don't want to judge you, but I do want to mother you. What's going on? Like, what is this all about? What? And I'll never forget how she said that. Like, I don't want to judge you, but I do want to mother you. Like, it was this loving care and concern. She did not hide behind the words, do not judge, and well, I'm just going to passively live and let live, like to each his own. It was a loving, non-judging confrontation. And when it comes to that sort of side of, of loving confrontation, there is judgment in the sense of discernment, in the sense of wisdom. But here's the thing. We're not trying to hurt each other. We're trying to help each other. We're trying to help one another. And so sometimes, you know, we say, like, don't judge me, or we push others away, don't judge me, or we hide behind these words in passivity. But Jesus, what Jesus is talking about here, when he says do not judge, he's talking about that sense of superiority. Jesus is not saying be blind. Jesus is saying be generous. In your assessment of others, like, be, be generous. Like, before you ever go to, like, be looking with a flashlight for the speck over there, like, look, look at the plank. Look at the plank in you. Like, get right with me first before you ever go and do that loving confrontation with someone else. So here's the question for you. How do you think we're doing on this? <laughs> like, how do you think we, in this church, in the church, are doing on taking Jesus seriously on his words to not judge. Did you know that according to research done just a few months ago, 87% of millennials who don't go to church say that they see Christians as judgmental. And 85% see Christians as hypocritical. I knew it was bad. I didn't, I was like, oh, 87%, wow. Now, this is very ironic because Jesus himself said, do not judge, and the teaching of the whole of Scripture is also reaffirming this. Like in John 3, 7, it says, God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. In Romans, it says, therefore, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Like, if we are going to take Jesus seriously, then the church the fellowship that has been founded in his name must be the least judgmental place on the planet. 
And followers of Jesus ought to be the least judgmental people in the world. We are people who base our lives on the life and teaching of Jesus. So if we are going to be known for anything, if we're to have a reputation for anything at all, it's got to be this radically inclusive, non-judgmental, grace-offering, you know, soul-healing, like fear-destroying sort of inclusive community of grace and mercy, like irrational acceptance. People ought to be able to say, like, I have got some really dark secrets. I won't even share it with my therapist. I would never share this with my friends. I wouldn't even tell my spouse. I wouldn't even tell my dog. But I will stand up in church and tell people my darkest secrets because I know there's going to be no judgment there. I know that is the safest place. I know that is the place of total grace. The church ought to be the place where there's like no fear of cancel culture ever with anyone because there's just no sense of superiority. It ought to be the place where evolving faith and evolving views can be openly processed with no fear of rejection because everybody is confident this is the last place on earth where judgment would take place. I mean, imagine a world where people thought about Christ followers and they thought those are the least judgmental people on the planet. I mean, imagine a world where like you bump into a stranger, like you get on a bus or you get on an airplane, you sit down next to somebody and you just kind of have a sense like they're really struggling and your next thought is, I'm going to tell them that I'm a follower of Jesus because I know if I tell them that, they're going to be like, deep breath. They're going to be able to be like, I am so messed up financially, relationally. I am doing so much self-medicating in self-destructive ways. And I was so worried I was going to sit down next to somebody who would judge me. But now that I know that you're a religious person, deep breath. Imagine that kind of world. Like, imagine if we took Jesus seriously. Because Jesus' purpose in coming was to overthrow the spirit of condemnation, to overthrow the spirit of judgmentalism and bring a spirit of radical embrace and love in a new community called the church to all humanity. So a kingdom-minded person is a person who is growing in humility, free of superiority, a person who walks through life and with each step, each step of life, like deeper, deeper in their body and in their bones, it's like nothing to fear, nothing to prove, nothing to gain, nothing to lose, deeper and deeper and deeper with every passing year. There's nothing to gain. There's nothing to lose. There's nothing to fear. There's nothing to prove. It's creating the sort of person of of humility who's living in the strong and unshakable kingdom of God. Imagine that kind of world. Now, some of you, I know, you're probably thinking, yes, yeah, okay, but you don't know the person. (laughs) Like, they've got an agenda to harm. Like, there is a person, perhaps you're thinking, in my life who is really awful. They are cranky. They are greedy. They are mean. They are just wrong. And yeah, that may be true. And yeah, 
boundaries may be needed. But Jesus is talking about the spirit of our hearts. Jesus is saying, do not judge. And the way in which you judge others, like the measure you use, he says, it will be measured to you. It's kind of like, am I never cranky? Am I never greedy? Am I never mean? Am I never just wrong? Like the measure you use, it, it will be used unto you. I wonder, I wonder sometimes, like, is the opposite of judgment maybe mercy? You know, think of like, what does the Lord require of you in Micah 6, 8? Love justice, do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with the Lord. So it's like when, you're, when your spouse or your ex or your boss or your employer or your friend are just plain mean or they're wrong, what measure do you use in that moment towards them? Like, if the measure of mercy, do, do you offer them like a, a little thimble full of mercy? <laughs> or do you like bring a big, huge bucket of mercy and just pour it over their head? Do you go like, here's the little thimble, mercy for you. I'm giving myself a bucket full, but I'm giving you a thimble. You know, or do you just walk up and you are just, here it is. It's the biggest bucket I can hold, and it's just mercy upon mercy upon you. Tom Watson was this, uh, he was a CEO of IBM in the 50s and 60s, and there's a great leadership story about one of his executives made a business decision that cost the company $10 million, which at that time was actually a lot of money for a corporation. <laughs> so the executive walks into Tom Watkins' office, and he has already prepared his resignation letter, and he says to him, like, I suppose you're going to fire me. Tom Watson says, fire you? I just invested $10 million in you. I can't afford to fire you. Like, get back to work. Like, he expected judgment, and he received mercy. I think about Peter, you know, denying Jesus three times at his moment of greatest need. And then after the crucifixion and after the resurrection, he sees Jesus. I could just imagine Peter sort of being like, I suppose you're going to fire me. And Jesus being like, fire you? I just invested a crucifixion in you. Like, get back to work. Like, go feed my sheep. You know, I, like he expected judgment. He received mercy. That, that's where it actually begins. in receiving mercy. I mean, imagine what the words, thou shalt not judge, must have meant to Peter after he experienced that from Jesus, after that day. And so it is with us, like right here, right now, Jesus, the Spirit of Christ, is inviting us to, you know, like, if this is the way of the world, Jesus is inviting us to turn and to live in the kingdom of the heavens the reality of the kingdom of God, where we simply lay aside judging and condemning and superiority, where we do not collude with gossip because we know that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and that is where we live and move and have our being. We live and move and have our being in the very presence of Jesus where there is no condemnation, and that's where we're living so, like, there's no condemnation in us. It's just, it's not even in our bodies. 
So when somebody wants to go there, or that's what they're, you know, evoking or inviting or hoping to have, for, like, it's just not, it's not even in there. It's not where I live. It's not where I live and move and have my being. And over time, if we live in this reality of God's kingdom in this good and beautiful way, we actually become unfamiliar with the spirit of superiority. We don't give it. We don't give condemnation because we don't have it. We're not doing self-condemnation. That's not, that's not the gospel. That's not the kingdom. We don't give it because we don't have it. It's not who we are. It's not where we live. We are Christ's beloved, sinners in need of mercy, who have received it in bucket loads. That's what's in us. And so then people want to gossip with it. Like our faces just lose interest. So together can we ask God to like do this in us? Because you know, this week I just kept thinking like, this is not something we drum up on our own. This is a gift of the Spirit. It's a work of the Spirit. And I really, really hope as people and as a community, we can like lean in on this because it's so pervasive, isn't it? I mean, I'm, it's in me. It's so pervasive. It's so easy to judge. And it's like, I feel like I'm just encouraged to do it every, <laughs> everywhere I turn. In fact, to take Jesus seriously on this, it, it, to take Jesus seriously on these words, do not judge, it's probably good to acknowledge it will probably cost you something. It may cost you your friends. It may cost you your popularity. It may, cost, it may create for you a little FOMO. Like, it may cost you more than that because it's so pervasive. It's so expected. Wendell Berry has a has a new book out. I've just started reading. Fabulous. It's called The Need to Be Whole. And in it, he, he, he is challenging us to reconsider this idea that love takes sides. He talks about how right now it is very common for people to say, I am on the side of love as they come up against societal evils like racism and evil. So what happens, he says, is the so-called haters <laughs> feel free to hate, but the so-called lover, lovers also now feel free to hate. They feel free to hate the so-called haters. So an example might be like the white supremacist can hate people of color, but the people opposing the white supremacist then, they are going to say, well, we are on the side of love. We do not do that, but we hate those who hate. We hate those of you who do. And this is what he says, this is what Wendell Berry says about that. He says, love that hates has canceled itself. It cannot survive its hatred of hate any more than one can survive minus one. Love that hates has canceled itself. Does love take sides? Like when I show up saying, well, I'm on the side of love, what I've actually done is I've drawn a line in the sand. I've created an enemy on the other side of that line. And love that hates has canceled itself, which of course immediately begs the question, well, what do you do in the face of evil? You offer gentle non-cooperation with evil. This is almost a given these days. I mean, even in church, right? 
for liberals and conservatives to caricature each other, to stop being generous, to not at all be curious, to assume like, if I know how you voted, I know everything there is to know about you. There is such a spirit of superiority in this, and it is not the way of the kingdom. And we are all guilty of it. I, I know this is in me. I want God to root this out. I want Jesus to come after and replace every ounce of superiority with a spirit of humility. And I just wonder, like, could we pray together for ourselves and for our community? Lord, make us, like, make us in this room and in this church, make us like an oasis of love in a desert of condemnation. We're going to be, as individuals and as a church, God, make us into an oasis of love in a whole huge desert of condemnation that is our world. And just like to make sure that we're all tracking with this, what is this message about? If someone asked you tonight, what was the message about? You're going to say four little words. Thou shalt not judge. Okay. And then if they ask you, was the message any good, <laughs> you will say, thou shalt not judge. <laughs> Let's pray. <laughs> God, we ask you by your spirit to shine your light into our lives, into our hearts. Show us how we are communicating, God, judgment, superiority, condemnation, contempt to people or to groups of people. God, we confess that we have colluded with gossip because we want to win. We want to feel superior. And God, we repent of that. Make our bodies, make our faces wholly dedicated to you so that there is nothing in us that colludes with a need to feel superior to anyone or anyone or anywhere ever. Because, Lord, we are yours. We live with two feet in your strong and unshakable kingdom. Make us instruments, God, of your mercy and your peace. Make us, God, an oasis of love. In this desert of condemnation, we pray today. And everybody said, amen.